Yes. All right, all right. Uh, you guys ready for the Word of God this morning? Are you ready for the Word of God this morning? Mom and dad are in the house. I don't know if you knew that. Ron and Janine Parrish, please stand up, please. These people right here. They started this whole thing, man, and it's just an honor to have you guys. Every time you show up, it's just, I get a little nervous because I'm like, well, you better not screw this up, you know. But we love you guys. Thank you for the foundation that you laid and the way you live your life and who you are. It matters. It really does. We love you guys. All right. Now, uh, on to the business in front of us today. We are launching into step two of our steps series. All right. Now, what, what we're leaning into in this church in 3D next few weeks is very simple. We actually believe that you can grow in God. We totally do. We believe that you can grow in your marriage. We believe that you can grow in your personal life. We believe that things that feel like are trapping you, you can be freed from. We believe addictions can stop, but it doesn't just stop. Can I get an amen? We have to have a rhythm that's going to set our life up in the direction that God has for us. And so these steps are a rhythm for us to become who we're called to be. All right, now, we, we, just a little bit of review here because I cannot waste an opportunity to help get the DNA of our church into your mind, all right? You might be asking the question, if this is your first time or your hundredth time, what are these people all about? Let me tell you, we call it our manifesto. These are our die-on-the-hill foundation stones. These are the declarations of who we are and who we're fighting to be. Put them on the screen, and let's say them like you know them. Are you with me? Yeah. Jesus is our message. Serving is our privilege. Honor is our language. Hope is our belief. Celebration is our soundtrack. Generosity is our standard. And transformation is our byproduct. This is who we are. You feeling me? This is our church right here. Everything that we do and don't do is because of that. And our steps are how these things go from things that we say into things that we live. That's what the steps are. They're how these go from declarations to lifestyles. And so step one, we leaned into last week, right? It's encounter God. So here's our steps. Let's say them together. Now, I'm going to be honest. I was a little disappointed in your effort on the manifesto. I'm going to give you one more shot, and then I'm just going to go to kid stuff because they get it down in kid stuff. All right? Here we go. Say it like you mean it. Encounter, matter, belong, grow, build. One more time. Uno mas. Encounter, matter, belong, grow, and build. My goal is not that you would memorize a couple lists. That's not the goal of this series. That's not the goal of having a manifesto. But our goal 
is that we would all know how to move forward in our relationship with Jesus. That you can take a step closer to understanding who God is and his plan for your life. And I wholeheartedly believe that if these steps, I turned for the emphasis, but they weren't there. Maisie, I need you, Maisie. I need you, Maisie. Give them back to me. Oh, yes, okay. I believe that if these steps become a rhythm in our life, you will be transformed. It is impossible for these to be alive within us and them not affect us. And so we started last week with encounter, encounter God. And hopefully what you left with was this, that encountering God is a rhythm. It's not random. Encountering God is a rhythm. It's not random. When we live a life that has a rhythm of encounter, we get less overwhelmed with what is or isn't happening in our lives, and we get more focused on the God who is with us in all that is happening in our life. We have to have a lifestyle, a rhythm of encountering God, which leads us to step two, which is matter. Now, again, I'm saying this a lot, that these steps are a rhythm. And what I mean is, is that they're not boxes that we check. They're things we continually lean into. So we can't look at the list and go like, oh, yeah, cool. I encountered God 20 years ago. It was cool. No, it's something that we daily pursue. It's a rhythm of our life. It's a rhythm. It's not a checklist. The steps are in a circle. Somebody who's artistic, figure that out, submit something, and maybe we'll use it, okay? Matter. Some of you know that Liz and I used to live in Waco, Texas, before Waco was cool. I like to say I made it cool. I mean, I, 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 was, I was an early adopter. And, and when we lived in Waco, it was a really interesting time. We, we actually went to school at the Baylor University, the national champs. Went to school there. After that, we, we moved to Seattle, Washington, lived on the West Coast for about seven years, then found our way back to Waco. The interesting thing about when we ended up moving back to Waco is that most of our college friends that we were really close to who had all left Waco for numbers of different reasons, we all ended up moving back around the same time. So it was kind of like being in college again, but we were old, fat, and had money. It was awesome, man. And so, like, we, we were just hanging out, having a great time. And, and me and my buddy Blake, who now him and his wife Marcy live in London, and they oversee all of Antioch's work in Europe. They have a big job. Pray for them. And, and, and Blake and I have a shared passion for boating, okay? That's why I wore the, these, these pants today, because I wanted you to look at me and say, that dude is nautical. <laughs> I love boats, okay? I love them. And, and I've never been able to own one, but I've been blessed with friends who do. Now, there is only one thing that's better than owning a boat. It's knowing people who own a boat. Now, Blake and I were talking. We were like, oh, dude, we got to get a boat. We got to get a boat. Now, I'm saying we got to get a boat trying to get Blake to get a boat. All right? Because if Blake gets a boat, J.D. gets a boat. You feeling me? 
And so he calls me one day, and he's like, hey, man, what you doing? I'm like, nothing, dude. I'm chilling. He said, come over to my house. I got a boat. I said, I'm on my way. <laughs> so I, I grab two of my kids. We fly over to Blake's house. And, man, when I say he got a boat, he got a boat. It was like a boat. You know what I'm saying? Not just like, oh, you got a boat. Like, yo, you got a boat. It was this Malibu wakeboard, blacked out, just even the trailer was icy. You know what I'm saying? If you don't know what icy means, it means really, really cool. And so we take this boat to the river, and we're just cruising around. We're having a great old time. And Blake goes, J.D., man, jump on the wakeboard, bro. I was like, you know, it's been a few years, but if you really need someone to try it out, I'm happy to be that guy. Now, know this about me. I think I'm better at everything than I actually can perform. Okay? Like, so if you ask me, dude, you skate? I go back to when I actually did use to skateboard in high school, and I will break my hip. Okay? Like, it's just like, I, I can't do anything anymore. I'm old. And so I get behind this boat on the wakeboard, boom, I pop up. Now, we're on the river, so there's people all along the banks of the river, right? So I am owning the moment. Every time we pass by another boat, I'm like dropping my hand, letting it, you know, skip on the water, you know, kind of just cruising back and forth, you know. And now here's the thing. I feel like I'm catching about 20 feet of air, you know. I don't know if you've ever watched these wakeboarding videos, but these dudes can jump. Now, I feel like I'm that high. I watched the footage. I wasn't that high. But, but I was having a great time. But here's the thing. We were making this turn. And as we were making this turn, I knew that on the other side of this turn is a boat dock. And that boat dock is going to be filled with people. This is the perfect opportunity for me to throw down the greatest trick of my life. Now, here's the thing. If you can't do a trick when no one is watching, you can't do a trick when everyone's watching. That's just a little rule of thumb I'm just going to throw out there for you, all right? But I was convinced that in this moment, I was about to huck my body about 20 feet in the air, grab the board, spin around, look beautiful, land, wink at everybody on the pier, and just keep cruising. That's what's going on in my mind. So we come around this turn. I set up perfectly. I whip the rope. I shoot off this wake, and I just slam head first. I'm talking about flipping, board flying off, all kinds of disasters. Nothing beautiful about what happened. Right in front of the pier. Now, I didn't even want to come up from under the water. I was so embarrassed because I knew that everybody on that pier was watching me, right? But I floated up because of the, the life jacket at just the right time to see this little bitty boat that was about one step bigger than a canoe that had like a trawling motor on the back of it. And it was on the side of the pier and it had an elderly gentleman standing in the boat. Now, we're, we flew around this corner, and Blake's boat makes big wakes. And so as I come up thinking I'm getting ready to get laughed at, I actually had a front row seat to this giant wave coming behind this guy who has no idea what's getting ready to hit him. 
And I get to watch the wave hit this little canoe. And literally, this dude starts holding the pier and he's surfing. All right. He's like, whoa, whoa. And it catapults him out of the boat and into the water. His buddy starts panicking, starts chasing after him, thinking like he's going to save him. He lunges. He almost falls in, grabs the pole of the pier. Their boat, the canoe, is now unmanned and not tied down. It starts floating down the river. The old man that got rocketed out of the boat is now swimming as fast as he can after the boat. And I'm in the water laughing. Because Blake has to come back and get me. And now I'm glad it's Blake's boat. Are you, are you hearing me? And Blake comes up around the corner and he sees this chaos that had ensued because he was, he was unaware of the impact of his boat wake. And he has to apologize. And he says, my bad first day. <laughs> Hear me, never underestimate what's happening behind you. Ooh, I wish there was just about three people. I got a mirror. I wish there were two other people that heard what I said. Look, never underestimate what's happening behind you. Never underestimate the boat wake that's happening behind you giving everything that you have to what God is doing in front of you. Don't underestimate it. You know, science now agrees with the Bible. I love it when that happens. And sociologists now will say that this thing inside of all of us to matter, to contribute, to, to be involved with the things we care about is actually not cultural but biological. Meaning that we're hardwired, we were designed to give of ourselves to the things that we care about. Now that makes perfect sense because you were made by a loving God on purpose for a purpose. And when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he had a design, a plan, a purpose that only you could fulfill. You were not an accident, but you were pivotal to his plan. It says this in Psalms 139, verse 13. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days were ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You were made by God with a purpose of God in your life. You were made on purpose for a purpose. If you have your Bible, I want you to jump with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts Chapter 9. All my online people, go ahead and throw some praise hands up in the air. Where's Dave at? Thank you, Dave. This is what it says. Meanwhile, 
Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the highest priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way or who, be, who believed in Jesus, whether if they were men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This man Saul's whole mission was to stop the momentum of the church. He was devising the plan of his life, his purpose at this moment, was to disrupt the momentum of the way. Those who were believing that Jesus was who he says that he was and did what he said that he did, conquered death and came back to life so that we could have relationship with the God who knit us together in our mother's womb. Saul's entire purpose was to disrupt that by bringing fear upon those who believed that. So he wanted to arrest, abuse, and ultimately kill anyone who was going to say that Jesus was the way. Verse 3, as he, speaking of Saul, near Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. This encounter that Saul had with Jesus changed everything. How many of you know that encounters matter? This encounter that Saul had with Jesus changed everything. That day on the road to Damascus had a world-impacting moment. Saul, who would become known as Paul, would go from that place and write most of the New Testament in the Bible as well as plant churches all over the world and find himself in the middle of seeing the gospel of Jesus reach farther and wider than anyone could have imagined. But before any of that happened, there was a man named Ananias who lived in Damascus. Ananias was a follower of the way. He believed that Jesus was the way to live. And God speaks to him and says this, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Taurus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision... He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. <laughs> I'm sure Ananias in this moment was like, yo, I've heard of that dude. 
This must not be you, Lord. I've heard of this Saul guy. This Saul guy kills people like me, imprisons people like me. You want me to do what? You want me to go and pray for him? First of all, scary. Second of all, awkward. Third of all, he can't see and he's going to see risky. Right? Ananias would have been feeling all the emotions that you feel when you're at the gas station and you know the Lord is telling you you need to share the gospel with that person. Look, we kind of read past this stuff in the Bible. We're like, oh, yeah, Ananias. And then he goes to Saul and he prays for him and receives his sight. No, take yourself out of the whole story. Put yourself in Ananias' story. This would have been sketchy, scary, intimidating. It probably would have felt insignificant. Why do I got to leave my house to go pray for this dude? Oh, I wish I I could look at you in the face and say that I haven't done that. I wish I could look at you in the face and say that I haven't ignored the same promptings from the Holy Spirit when I'm looking at somebody that's giving me my coffee or or, or that that is serving me my food or I'm walking down the street and I feel my heart just swell and the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he says, go pray for that person. And then all of a sudden, instead of me responding like Ananias responds, I'm like, no, that's probably not the Lord. But Ananias, in all of the fear, in all of what he didn't understand, in all of the insecurity he was feeling, look, we don't have any inclination of who this man is. We don't know. We, we, he was not a leader as far as anybody can tell. He was not a pastor as far as anybody could tell. He's only mentioned in the Bible in this moment, never to be seen or heard from again. People have his name, but it's not the same man. He was just a disciple of Jesus. He was just a faithful churchgoer who spent his morning saying, God, I want to encounter you. And how many of you know that when your encounter is a rhythm and not random, God invites you into a story that's bigger than yourself? And all of a sudden, God speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go pray for this man named Saul. And God leads him in this random, seemingly insignificant, inconvenient, stretching moment that ultimately would lead to a boat wake of impact that we're all still surfing right now. Think about that. Here's why I think we sometimes miss mattering moments because we wait for moments that we think matter. Ooh, it's going to get tough in here. It's going to get a little uncomfortable. Look, we miss moments to matter because we wait for moments that seem like they matter. When when most of life is filled with seemingly insignificant moments of obedience that we have no idea what they're going to do later. Ananias had no idea that this man Saul would end up being Paul and do what he did. 
It was just another Monday for him. It was just a go pray for this guy. He didn't know. God spoke to him and said, I'm going to use this guy. I'm going to use him powerfully. But he didn't know how powerfully. We can't be the judge of significance. That's not, we can't be the judge of significance. It's, that's not our job. Our job is to give all of who we are to what's in front of us and trust God for what he wants to do behind us. Amen. Our job is to trust God and give everything that we have to what's in front of us and, and, and to, to trust him for everything that he's going to do behind us. Hear me. Everything matters. Everything matters. Not some things, everything. Every opportunity matters. Every conversation matters. Every hello matters. Every interaction that you have with your kids matters. Everything matters. Your life matters. Every part of your life matters. Not just the highlight reel. But your entire life matters because God made you to matter because he made you on purpose. And he made you on purpose for a purpose. Listen to what Paul, who was Saul, who has an encounter with the living God on a road to Damascus, and then a man named Ananias is obedient to a prompting in his spirit as he's having an encounter with God to go and pray for him. God meets him, his eyes open, and Saul, who would become Paul, gives his life for the gospel. He writes this in 2 Timothy 2. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from their wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. And those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purpose. Made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Most biblical scholars agree that when Paul says a large house, he's talking about the church. And the church is filled with all kinds of people, with all kinds of stories, from all kinds of backgrounds, with all kinds of gifts, from all kinds of places. And it doesn't matter where we came from. When we turn away from our wickedness, God turns our story into his glory. That when we turn away from our wickedness, we are then catapulted into a special purpose. Don't underestimate the power of the boat wake behind you when there's a yes in you. Don't underestimate the power of the boat wake behind you when there's a yes in you. Look, I want to show you a picture. This is phytoplankton. Doesn't phytoplankton just look important? 
Look at that. That, that big one over there kind of looks like COVID a little bit. Like a... <laughs> but you look at that and you're like, man, that must really matter. It must matter so much that we should just be able to see it everywhere, right? Actually, no, you can't see this unless it's under a microscope. This is microscopic single-cell plant, single plants. Phytoplankton, arguably the most important thing in the world. 70% of the oxygen that we breathe, those guys. Save the phytoplankton. It doesn't have quite the same. 70% of the air we breathe, phytoplankton. How many of you had no idea what phytoplankton was? I didn't. Oh, y'all paid attention to biology. Okay. 70% of the air we breathe is from a source that we can't see. Not only that, this is a critical food source for almost all marine life. So if you subtract phytoplankton from the earth, there is a boat wake of impact. Meaning something you can't see can go away and it will affect what you can see. Oh. Something that you cannot see when it is subtracted from our system, will affect everything that you can see. Because everything matters. There's nothing that's too small that it doesn't matter. Insignificant that it doesn't matter. Everything matters. Serving in kids matters. Might feel small, might feel insignificant. You'd be like, I don't even have any kids. Look, you know that kids that encounter Jesus most of the time between age four to age 14. That is the most important thing that we do. We don't have kids ministry around here. We have kids stuff. And stuff means discipleship, worship, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to spend time with God. Man, when our kids did communion a couple weeks ago, two of my kids ran out and they're like, Dad, I drank wine. I had to follow it up and be like, did we give our kids wine? I just want to know if I can prepare for a solid nap this afternoon. But serving the kids matters. You know why? Because their stories are being written right now. What they're going to believe is being shaped right now. Serving in youth matters. How many of you know teenagers are going to change the world? Jesus' ministry was a youth ministry. We, we, we talk about, you know, Matthew and Mark and John, like these dudes were like, oh, no, they were teenagers. And they changed the world. Serving in youth matters because their story matters. You'd be like, oh, that's insignificant. No, it's going to be inconvenient. No, I want to do it. Really? You take it away, it'll affect everything that you can see. Fit team matters. Look, wait, look I, I've been biblically convinced that heaven is going to be fun. 
I don't know, every time I read anything about heaven, it's like worship, joy, excitement. You go to a lot of churches, you're like, dude, I can't find this church up in here. Everybody's all depressed and overwhelmed and anxious. Where? No, I don't see it. And so we want people to feel like they're entering into a different kingdom when they pull into our parking lot. And every sign twirler and person that's like saying hi that makes you smile when you come in was on purpose. Because we want people to feel and to know that they belong here. That there's space for them here. And I want to do something here just for a minute. Tate, come here. You're not in trouble. Come here. So this is my son. All right? This little homie serves on the fit team every week. I wish I could tell you that I told him to do it. But I didn't. How many of you have enjoyed seeing him doing his little fast feet moves? Spinning signs around. One Sunday, I look out, we're, we're doing our volunteer rally. Tate's out there by himself in the rain and cold, dancing because a car came in. And he said, I was like, Tate, what are you doing? He's like, Dad, we can't have one person come in here and not be welcomed. Right? Hey, my dude. For those of you who don't know, this is the often duplicated but never replicated golden hammer. This is solid gold right here. We give this to people who go above and beyond for us being who we're called to be. And yeah, I'm proud right now. I'm proud right now. My dude, I hammer you, bro. I love you. Hey. Listen, the reason Tate does that is because about a year and a half ago, one of our college students named Jake McRoberts came up to Tate and said, Tate, do you want to help me welcome cars in the parking lot? And Tate saw Jake give everything that he had for every single car that came in. And so Jake serves in a different place, but the seed that he planted in Tate is impacting all of us today. Everything matters. You can go, buddy. Let's clap for tape. Don't think that something small doesn't matter. That holding a sign doesn't matter. That being a life group leader doesn't matter. That waking up on a Saturday morning and taking a high school student to coffee doesn't matter. Don't think that showing up at a basketball game doesn't matter. Don't think that you just engaging with somebody doesn't matter. Don't think that saying hi to your neighbor doesn't matter. Don't think that not inviting someone to church doesn't matter because you have no idea 
You have no idea what's going to happen on the backside of your life. You have no idea when you get to heaven the impact of that boat wake that your yes had. And the invitation for us is to say, "What well, you know what, I, I am going to believe that what God has made me to do is to be about seeing his kingdom advance here on earth. And let me tell you, you want to know what gets me up in the morning? Is that some would say 80% of our city, that if today our world ended, they would spend eternity in hell. I am not okay with that. I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay with people not being given the opportunity to meet Jesus in a powerful way. I'm not okay with it. So I'm going to give my life to make sure that every moment that I have on earth matters. And I'm going to ask you to do the same. I'm going to ask you to do the same. I'm going to ask you to matter in your neighborhood. Your neighbors should think, man, it matters that they're there. Because the way that they love and serve our neighborhood, it matters. I want you to matter here in this church. The question around here is, where are you going to serve, not if you are going to serve? And some of you are like, whoa, dude, that's really, that's really, you know, I don't know, man. I just want to be here. You're going to hate our church. Can I just say that? Like, if you don't want to serve, you are going to be eternally frustrated here. So just go ahead and go somewhere else. Bless you. Because around here, we matter. Everybody needs to serve. Everybody needs to have a place where they're like, my hand touched that. I was a part of that. I showed up to make that happen. I said hello to somebody, and now they gave their life to Jesus. I saw they raised their hand. I'm a part of that story. And so how we're going to respond today, very simply, we're, we're not going to have people come forward. You got a card, and if you didn't, they're on the seat fronts in front of you. I want you to grab that card. If you're watching online right now, a QR code is popping up on your screen. And on that card, we're all going to respond. And the question is, where am I going to serve? And there's a ton of choices on there. And some of you are like, man, I already served. Cool. Great. Check the box again. Re-up again. And look, you know what? Because we believe that every moment matters, we actually believe that winning matters. And so we're going to draw a couple names and you're going to win sweet prizes. That was my idea. I thought there's a little incentive, but it never hurts anybody. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, hey, let's just go ahead. Let's just cast lots for some free stuff. You know? It's biblical. So the band's going to pray. We're all going to fill out that card right now because everything matters. Every person matters. You were made on purpose for a purpose. God has a design for you, and we are not the church we're called to be without you being who you're called to be. So let's fill it out right now. Let's just go for it.
All right, everybody, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. Just hang on to those cards. You're going to cash those in when you leave. We'll have people at the doors with buckets. We filled it out online. Thank you so much. It's going to pray for us. We're going to worship. We're going to ask God to remind us that as he builds us, amen, he builds his church. And as his church gets stronger, our city gets healthier. Jesus, we're asking right now that you would come, that you would overwhelm us with your presence and that you would do something in us, God, that even, even if we feel weary and tired, like I don't even know if I have much to give, God, that you would encourage us that it's not the amount, but it's the attitude. That, that we want to have an attitude of generosity, of giving what we have, because we have no idea what's going to come out of the yes within our spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, let's worship together.